So Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may, able, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. I stop there at verse 14 because that's the piece of armor that we considered this morning, the breastplate of righteousness. How in ancient terms, this breastplate, very much like what we would call today body armor that you'd see police officers or soldiers wearing. In ancient times, uh, soldiers wore a breastplate that covered their front and their back, covered their vital organs. Without a breastplate, you were open and exposed to life-threatening injury. And this breastplate in this spiritual battle in which we're engaged is the breastplate of righteousness, literally again, of the righteousness. A righteousness or righteous, these are words that are found over 500 times in the Bible, all the way from the book of Genesis in the beginning to the book of Revelation in the end righteousness. And here it's part of the armor of God. We considered this morning that there's been a difference of opinion as to what kind of righteousness this breastplate is. And the one view is that this refers to the righteousness of Jesus Christ that the Bible speaks about, that he came and lived, he was like us in every way, yet without sin. That in everything that Jesus thought and said and did, He was righteous. He didn't do anything wrong, and he only ever did what was right. Could you imagine to have been there and to see a perfect human being? How wonderful that must have been. But how threatening it was to some. Attractive to some, repellent to others but a perfect life. And Jesus lived that perfect life, not just for himself, but again, as a representative for his people. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of the sin of his people, and he lived a perfect life so that they could have a perfect righteousness given to their account. And so that's the the wonderful exchange that the Bible speaks about. Our sin put on Jesus. And he dies for that sin and his righteousness put upon us. And so many see uh, this righteousness, this breastplate which covers us, which is so vital for us, as Christ's righteousness covering us uh, as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other kind of righteousness is uh, the fruit of being saved, the fruit of faith by the work of the Spirit in our lives, in which God makes us more and more personally righteous. And so the Bible speaks about those both, 
Some have said that this must be the righteousness of Christ. Charles Hodge said many say it is our own righteousness or integrity, but that would be no protection at all. We considered that this morning. Our righteousness has too many holes in it to be safe. But there are many, on the other hand, including John Calvin, William Gurnall, Matthew Poole, even to the modern-day commentator William Hendrickson, who think that this is speaking of our own lives of personal righteousness. That this is uh, the, the breastplate uh, that Paul is speaking about here. The devote, the, the devout and holy life, as William Hendrickson said. Now, of course, the two cannot be separated. Those who are justified, and that's the biblical term for being declared righteous in God's sight, all for the righteousness of Christ and given to us by faith alone. Those who are justified are also sanctified. They are changed. And one day that change will be complete and perfect and we will be glorified. That's Romans 8, verse 30. All those whom he justified, he also glorified. We considered this morning that wonderful statement of Paul in Romans 8, 1. Based on the doing and dying of Christ and trusting in him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The wonderful protection that the righteousness of Christ gives to all those trusting in him, that whatever happens in this life, that when one day you and I stand before the holy God, stand before Jesus Christ, the Bible says, face to face. And he, he stands there like a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats, judging all mankind. What protection will you have? Well, it's this breastplate of righteousness, a perfect righteousness and a full forgiveness so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that same passage Romans 8, Paul goes on to say, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, we can't keep the law, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Paul goes on to speak about those. There's no condemnation. It's what Jesus did. He offered himself. The righteous requirement of the law is fully met in us because we're united to Jesus. But all those people, how do they live? Who live not according to the flesh. They don't live being dictated to and driven by just their sinful desires, but according to the Spirit. They live listening to the Spirit of God, speaking in the Word of God, the Bible. They are filled with the Spirit of God who makes the people of God more and more like Jesus every day. 1 Peter 2.24 says, 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. You see how the two are always connected. If we're really united to Christ, there will be a righteousness in our lives. It's not the foundation of our acceptance with God, but it is the the inextricable fruit that comes, the, the fruit that flows from being united to Christ and justified. That, that should be the Christian life. Job says in Job 29, 14, I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. Again, we want to say justification must come before any genuine sanctification. The the message of the Bible is not just try harder, just try to live a good life. So often, that's what the church, many parts of the church have said to people. But it's no good news to anybody. When they say, well, Jesus said, love your neighbor, so just try to be nice to each other. Well, we should love our neighbor, but the problem is we don't. So that's no good news to me. It's no good news to me at all to tell me what I should do, but I can't. And if I don't, I'm going to be judged for that. The good news is what Jesus has done for us. That's our hope. But whenever Jesus has done something for a person and that person is trusting in that, Jesus also does something in that person. And that change begins. William Gurnall said, you must be righteous and holy before you can live righteously. And and that's the, the difference and distinction that we need to keep in mind. And again, I think this passage points more to that perfect righteousness of Christ covering us as our breastplate. Many others have pointed to uh, our own righteousness. And so just two questions this afternoon. Why see this piece of armor as part of our sanctification, our own lives, our own practical righteousness and holiness? And then second, how is that kind of righteousness, the righteous life that we live, our good works, how is that protection or help in the Christian life? How is that protection and help in the spiritual battle in which we're engaged? Well, why see this piece of armor as part of our sanctification? Why is there a debate here at all? Well, already in Ephesians 4.24, Paul has said, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He said in Ephesians 5, 9, you're children of the light. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Paul has used this word righteousness to describe the life of a Christian. We are righteous in Christ, so be righteous in your lives. And so Paul has used this word that way already in this letter. But I think it's too much to say that that then requires the same meaning for that word anywhere else it's used. So what else would point people to our own lives here as part of the armor? 
Well, 2 Corinthians 6, 4 is interesting and helpful. It says, as servants of God, Paul said, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness, in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, yet we live on, beating, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Oh, what a passage. But right in the middle, the weapons of righteousness. And he's been speaking about his own purity and patience and kindness and love, spoken of as weapons of righteousness. That's a different word here, but it's the same picture. And then even more specifically, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul wrote, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. So there the word breastplate is used, but it's very clear that in that passage, it is speaking about the things that we do, faith and love. And so it's, it's not just an easily dismissed, view that would say, well, maybe this righteousness has something to do with our lives as well. And so in summary, if even if we think first of justifying righteousness, which we should, true justifying righteousness in someone's life, if you are truly someone who is declared righteous by God, and accepted in God's sight, all for the righteousness of Christ, that assumes, then, righteous fruit in your life. And second, there does seem to be evidence that our own righteousness, in some sense, is like spiritual armor or spiritual weapons, even a vital piece of armor like a breastplate. And so, for this afternoon, we're going to think about this breastplate then along that line. Again, not disconnected to this morning and the righteousness of Christ, but the righteousness of your own life, doing what is right, and how that can be then a help in this spiritual battle in which we're engaged. How is our righteousness a breastplate against Satan's devices. Well, first we need to say, again, that even though there is the fruit of righteousness in a true Christian's life, it's not perfect righteousness in this life. I like what one writer said, evangelical gospel holiness or righteousness makes the Christian rather willing than able to give full obedience. We want to give full obedience, though we all stumble in many ways. If you're someone who says, I don't really care how I live. I just want to do what I want to do. That's a huge red flag in your life for a Christian to say that. 
a Christian says, I want to please God. I want to be righteous. I want to be like Jesus. And in those times and in those places in my life where I'm not, it pierces my heart. I repent of that. I don't want that. But the struggle is real. Read Romans 7. The struggle, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want, that I do. But you're praying, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to the Lord Jesus. We all stumble in many ways. We need to go back again to the breastplate of justifying righteousness. But keeping that in mind, what protection can be found? What advantage in the spiritual battle can be found even in a Christian's imperfect righteousness? Well, first, it lends to the assurance of faith. The assurance of faith. Jesus said, by their fruit, you'll know them. The fruit of the Spirit in a person's life points, gives evidence to that person really being rooted and grounded in Christ. If you have nothing to point to in your life that is righteous, your claim of being born again has no protection from doubt or critique. No protection. We need to be aware of legalism, that by our own righteousness we can be right with God, and so we we look to Jesus Christ alone. But on the other hand, we need to beware of what was called antinomianism, that, that we can be justified somehow and have no change in our life. No change at all. You remember that sermon that made Paul Washer internet famous, that sermon he gave at a youth conference. And he said, what if I told you that on the way here, I was walking down the road and a semi-truck came off the road and onto the sidewalk and smashed into me uh, full force going, whatever, 50 miles an hour and, and smashed. And that happened to me. And, and here I am. You would look at me and say, well, Look at look at you. You're fine. You're not bleeding anywhere. You have no broken bones, nothing. I don't think you really got hit by a truck. Right? If something happens, there's evidence of it. And if you're righteous in Christ, there has to be some righteousness of Christ in your life. And in mine. I love the picture that William Gurnall gave. What a strange delusion is this. If someone tried to convince you that though all the water in every bucket is stinking, yet the water which is down in the well is sweet. Who would believe him? Who would believe him? You let down a bucket into a well and you put in everyone's is stink, is stinking water. Can't drink it. But then someone tries to say, but the, the water down in the well is good. You wouldn't believe it. Well, if everything in our life is just stinking sin, 
Do we have any basis to say, but my heart's been made new? What a strange delusion is that? 1 John 2.29 says, If you know that he is righteous, God, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Again, not denying or ignoring the righteousness of Christ and being born again and united to him. But there must be fruit or we're deceived. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And one writer said, apart from such a life, the would-be Christian has no defense against Satan's accusations. He has no assurance of salvation. And so what a blessing, righteousness, seeing God working righteousness in your life is in the spiritual battle, that it, it lends to assurance of faith. Yes, God, you are changing me. As, as a friend of mine one, oh, says very often, uh, we're not the people that we will be, but we're not the people that we were. We've been changed and we are changing. We're seeing God work in us. And we have the desire to be righteous. The assurance that our righteousness provides is not the basis of our plea and hope, but it is an encouragement and a defense against Satan's devices. So assurance of faith. Here's another advantage of righteousness, your righteousness in the Christian battle. It's the, the, the blessing of boldness. Boldness. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Having a breastplate should not make you foolhardy. But it does give a degree of boldness you would otherwise lack. Without it, you'd be hiding or running away. Never can we truly recover our courage, said one writer, till we recover our holiness. Sin will make a coward of you in the Christian life in many ways. Boldness. Related to that, a fearlessness. A fearlessness. That's just the other side of the coin, probably, of boldness. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, the end of the chapter. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's righteousness. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is the language of Ephesians 6. And then in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. But as we strive together and we're conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, without being frightened in any way, Righteousness brings a fearlessness to us in our Christian lives, especially as we face those who are uh, the enemies of Christ and the church. And you know why? Because there's nothing obvious that they can point to you, point at you and say, what about this in your life? And you know it's true. That brings a fearfulness. What happens when you're just driving along the road and you see the the lights of a police car behind you? You know? (laughs) All, All sorts of things can go on in your mind. He may be pulling over someone who's passed you long ago. I don't know, but you start thinking. Or a police car pulls into your driveway. There can be a fear, you know, if there are things in your life that aren't right. Police car was behind my mom once. My brother Jeff was in the car, turned his lights on. My mom wouldn't pull over. She said, I've done nothing wrong. (laughs) Well, that's wrong. (laughs) Jeff was sweating. She had, she had a tail light out or something. What a bad illustration. <laughs> fearlessness. Fearlessness comes with righteousness. And if we want to stand in our day fearless before a, a government and a society that more and more is going to not just ignore Christians but condemn Christians as hate-filled bigots and the problem in society, which is what will happen, only a righteousness of life will bring a fearlessness in the face of opposition. But then, perhaps more positively, righteousness in your life will bring something else. It will bring an attractiveness, an attractiveness to the soldiers of the cross. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not talk back to them, not steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Righteousness adorns the gospel because true goodness, like Paul says, against these things, there is no law. Everyone knows that that's good and right. They see so many of the righteous things in our lives. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, that there would be an attractiveness to your life. Sin in the church never attracted anyone to the church. 
That's why it's so sad to read about the things that have happened and are happening, sadly will happen in the church when there's a reason for the world to blaspheme because of what happens in the church. But on the other hand, righteousness is attractive. They'll see something about your life. They may not agree initially with what you've said, but they won't be able to not to deny that there is a beauty in your life. That you love them for some strange reason that they don't quite understand. You know, before a lot of people will ever read a Bible, they will read your life. And I may preach for a couple of hours a week on a Sunday, but your lives preach every day. The attractiveness of righteousness. Related to attractiveness, we could mention persuasiveness. The persuasiveness of righteousness. (coughs) Excuse me, as we speak with others. Listen to Psalm 141 verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Let a righteous man strike me. Not just any man. Let a righteous man rebuke me. There is a persuasiveness as we speak to others, as we come alongside others, as we counsel others, and as we spur others on to love and good deeds, there is an added persuasiveness if our lives have a righteousness about them. I hope you're not getting sick of Gurnall. He's so good. We do not love the one that has a stinking breath if he should come very near to us. And truly, we count one coming near us that reproves us. If you're coming near enough in someone's life to speak about their sin, he says, do you want to be like a person who gets close to you, has horribly bad breath? person won't want you near them. Let a righteous man strike me and rebuke me. And it will be a blessing. And I'll receive it. Because of his righteousness and the righteous way and the godly way and the gentle way and the spiritual way it's brought. If any is caught in a sin, that those who are spiritual, gently restoring. Persuasiveness. There's also great help in righteousness in the spiritual battle in prayerfulness. Prayerfulness. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, of course, that is the righteous in Christ, the children of God. But surely there is a link between righteousness and prayer in a believer's personal dealings with God. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Psalm 66, verse 18. 
Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. There is a connection because God is personal. In our lives and in our prayers, in our communication with him and his providential dealings with us, that relates to sin and righteousness in our lives. Still under God's sovereign wisdom and will, as always, but still a factor that we read about in the Bible. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Prayerfulness. Peacefulness. Peacefulness as we fight the spiritual fight. Hebrews 12, 11, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Soldiers need to be disciplined, and we must all undergo discipline as soldiers, as children. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. And, what does the writer to the Hebrews add? And peace. Righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There is a peace in your life that comes from righteousness. Wickedness is like the ocean turned up, muck and mire. There is no peace for the wicked. But righteousness brings peace. Even often with others, not always, but often with others. Proverbs 16, 7, when the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. That's something to think about in our lives. Certainly, if we're living sinfully and interacting sinfully with other people, it's not going to be encouraging to anybody to have a peaceful demeanor toward us. Well, we could, I'm sure, go on. There's so many things that the Bible connects to our righteousness in our life that will be a blessing to you in spiritual warfare. Watch out for Satan's schemes. He tries many ways to make righteousness look undesirable and unappealing. Some of you may be here, some of you young people, and saying, righteousness. I'm, I'm sick of hearing that word. I don't want my friends to look at me and say, oh, he's a righteous one. The world has all sorts of things that the devil will present to you, the world will present to you and say, this is the way you want to be living. That righteousness stuff, for those narrow shoe, just, you know, Christian people that are just against everything, that just don't want to have any fun in life. I want to have a good time. Righteousness doesn't sound like a good time to me. That's the devil. I want you to think that way. He'll make sin very appealing and very attractive. He too is a fisher of men. He presents the bait and hides the hook. He'll point to happy, prospering people in the world and tempt you like he did the psalm writer. Psalm 73, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. 
For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. But instead be like Moses. Hebrews 11.25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. There are pleasures in sin. It's just foolish to deny that. That's why they're so tempting. But they are the passing pleasures of sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Watch out for the devil's schemes. And watch out for sin. Just watch out for sin. If you could see an arrow coming, wouldn't you get out of the way as a soldier? If you could see a bullet coming, it'd be even better. Watch out for sins. And in particular, let me just say this quickly, watch out for small sins. It's just a little thing. There are no little sins because there's no little God to sin against. Watch out for a little yeast that will infect the whole batch of dough. Second, 1 Corinthians 5. Watch out for small sins. Watch out for old sins that you think you've conquered and you let down your guard. Watch out for respectable sins. <clears throat> things that our culture doesn't think is sin. Things that even in the church people aren't really thinking is, is sin at all. Jerry Bridges' book, very helpful, Respectable Sins. And watch out for private sins. We can all come here and, and look and come off very righteous. Watch out for private sins that no one else sees but the one who matters most. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The breastplate of righteousness. So that we could say by God's grace with the Apostle Paul as he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, I'm ready to be poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing.